still. So, oh my God, get yourself under control. God damn it. All day, my day has been like this. Like, I'm just trying to be a normal <laughs> human being, people. Don't be against me. Okay. Nope. Nope what? You can't be a normal human being. It's just not allowed today, apparently. Apparently not. <sighs> now I'm all hot and sweaty. So, um, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking whiskey. <laughs> what kind of whiskey? Just whiskey straight or just... or. Okay. Pretty much. No pineapple, um, no, Malibu fancy. rum stuff. Nope. No banana rum. Nope. It's just going for the straight All shit right. today. Why fool around? That's my motto. Yeah. Back to basics. I'm drinking Oof. a nude hard seltzer. So what's it taste Have like? Have had those before? What, is, what does nude taste like? Peach. Oh. <laughs> nude tastes like peach? That makes sense, actually. I get that. Yeah, it does, <laughs> which is why I giggled when I said it, because it was funny to say it out loud. Um, <laughs> but they're, <laughs> they also have mango and lime. I bought a variety pack at Costco. I like lime. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're better than um, White Claw, I think. Um, yeah, so what do we have going on today? So what's, what's our... You wanted to do a back-to-school theme. Even though I'm pretty sure they're yes. going to make us not go back to school in California soon. I abandoned that, by the way. I, oh, it's th- not back to school because I totally forgot about that because you said Pennsylvania after that. And then that's what I went with. Oh, well, Kidlet's supposed to start regular school next week, even though it's only two days a week. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we're going to pretend we're, we care about back to school that one day will be normal. So I think we're doing a school sure. theme. Yeah. No, did you just hear anything I said? I said I totally abandoned the back to back to school theme and just went with Pennsylvania because you said oh. Pennsylvania. And I totally forgot that that's what I was supposed to be doing and I got really wrapped up in this story. <laughs> it's a good it's a good story though. So, what's funny is I did hear you, but I didn't put it together that that meant you weren't doing a school theme. <laughs> oh. So I'm glad you actually <laughs> okay. had to explain it to me again. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm having a shit show day. Okay. Well, All right. when I was going to follow the theme, I did um, – we're doing haunted colleges. Well, I am. I don't know if we are. I am. Okay. I definitely am not. <laughs> so I looked up haunted schools, and I found a lot of colleges. It was under – readersdigest.com did the top 10 most haunted schools. I took some of their ideas and then I actually looked them up separately. So I wasn't an old person reciting Reader's Digest. (laughs) So I did use rd.com, civilwarghost.com, and scaryforkids.com. And I've used a couple other things, but I'll tell you when I get there. So all right, we're going to start with Gettysburg College. So known for its proximity to the historical Civil War battleground, Uh, where many men lay wounded and dying. Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. So, see, we're we're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, we're we're good. I'm still in the same same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's in Pennsylvania. It has a reputation for ghost sightings galore. And, yes, I use the word galore. Gettysburg College opened 31 years before the Battle of Gettysburg. A field hospital for both sides and communications outpost 
were located within Pennsylvania Hall during the war, which may explain why it's deciding for so many spirits. No shit. I had no idea that there was an established college 30 years before the Civil War and is still running today. I mean, that's 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 crazy. Pennsylvania was the second state um, in the colonies. And there's so much history in Pennsylvania. Like, I feel like yeah. everything started there. Because Gettysburg, Gettysburg is really, it's really, um, it's actually a really cool town. Yeah, well, that's where the Liberty Bell is in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lots um, of history. Lots of history. So a month after the Battle of Gettysburg, the college continued to serve as a Confederate hospital and a prison camp for Union soldiers. Penn Hall seems to be the main place for paranormal activity. Numerous people have heard moaning and cries from young men. And watch out for the elevator. Oh. It's pretty creepy. So two college administrators in the 1980s attempted to go to the first floor. Um, They ended up in the basement, which is not where, that's not the button they hit. When the elevator doors opened, they were, like I said, they were in the basement and they were staring at a gruesome hospital scene. Whoa. According to the administrators, what should have been a storage space was instead a Civil War era hospital scene filled with ghostly orderlies, soldiers bleeding out and dying, soldiers screaming in pain. It was like a horror story. And the spirits looked up at the administrators who quickly fled. That elevator closed those doors. Yeah. Um, And there's two of them. There's two of them. So they they go up and get a security guard. And of course, when they go back down, it's just a storage space. Wow. So. That would freak me out because I could totally picture what they saw. Oh, you know definitely. What I mean? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's been in movies. Yeah, exactly. That would do it. They quit after that, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would be on board with that. I mean, the fact that there's two of them, you know, if it was just you, maybe you could really like, okay, I'm imagining things. That's crazy. Maybe I should get my head checked, whatever. But the fact that there's somebody else to corroborate what you saw is right. I, not, I, I don't like that. It's not a mass hysteria thing here. So the buildings, Coppola, do you know what a Coppola is? Like Henry Coppola? <laughs> Isn't that's that not, a name? That's not Henry Coppola. You're is it Christopher of, Coppola? No, I'm not thinking of Nicholas Cage's uncle who makes okay, wine. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he actually makes movies too, you know? Wine's kind of a second thing. <laughs> well, the wine is what I'm familiar <laughs> mostly with. That's funny. That's super funny. Anyway, it's like a, the steeple, like a okay. steeple of the church or, you know, like that little base that's on the top of buildings, like especially like Gothic buildings. Okay. Anyway, okay. not that like that matters. Like a keystone type of thing? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay. But for, you know, like when it peaks, you know. Okay. Okay. Doesn't matter. We doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, it was Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Yes, it was. Is the uncle. Yeah. That makes wine. And once again, you relate him to Nicolas Cage. He is his own man. He made the Godfather. Oh, well, okay. I, I think. I'm pretty sure. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it sounds familiar. I've never seen any of the Godfathers all the way through, but it sounds familiar. I haven't either, but I don't want to admit that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that Coppola, Coppola, whatever. It's said to host the ghost of a soldier dubbed the Lone 
Sentinel. He is a ghostly phantom who carries a lantern and a rifle and still carries out his duties as a lookout. Mm. So you might see him chilling, just checking things out. Um, another ghost is the general. He's been sighted in the theater area. And not to be ignored, Glatt... <laughs> I'm having the worst time with words today. Glatt Filter Hall's bell tower has an apparition called the Lady in White. Because there is always a Lady in White. She's probably a nurse. Possibly. Let's find out. She was dissed right. by her lover. Or possibly lost him in the war. So she flung herself off the bell tower. Oh. Rumor has it, if you look into her eyes, you will soon meet the same fate. Wow. And then there's the really sad story about Blue Boy. Uh-oh. I don't like the, the boy part. That means he's probably young. <laughs> yeah. So over 100 years ago, Stevens Hall was a prep school for girls. Nearby was an orphanage. The children who lived there were abused and mistreated. And one very cold night, this little boy snuck out of the orphanage to run away. He made it as far as Gettysburg College. He knocked on one of the windows to the dormitory in Stevens Hall, and one of the girls let him in. Well, the headmistress was doing her rounds, and they knew that she would send the boy back. So they had him hide outside on the window ledge. <gasps> no! So the headmistress was very chatty that night, and it was over an hour before she finally left the room. The girls ran to the window, but the little boy was gone. All they saw were tiny footprints in the snow. Nobody knows what happened to him. It's presumed he froze to death that night. But ever since the woman, or the woman, the women who stay in Stevens Hall have reported seeing the ghost of a frozen boy, frozen little boy whose face is all blue. Oh, no. One girl swears that he stood in her window and left a message on the frosted glass that read, help me, backwards. Oh, fuck. That's sad. So this this one I just brought up because I really like Shirley Jackson. So um, this is Bennington College. Uh, Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, is said to have been inspired by this school up in Vermont. Where that's why that name sounded familiar. Um, that's the one where it's a family it was right. on Netflix last year. Yeah, I th yeah. Dave watched it, so I saw bits of it. It was pieces, really spooky. And yeah. she also wrote The Lottery, which is one of the... I had to read that in seventh grade, and honestly, that's super freaking graphic for a seventh grader. Oh, I've anyway. not heard of it. <sighs> it's a short story, but anyway. So mm. according to the New York Times, the Bennington students noted that Jackson was just another faculty wife and a fat and creepy one at that. Whoa. That's not nice. Harsh. Um, In your face now that she's all famous and successful. Right. And someone says she drank so much and her house always smelled like cat pee. Huh. <laughs> ah. ah. But anyway, Shirley Jackson has her fans, including fellow horror author Stephen King. Um, but that's not why I picked this college. It is kind of. So anyway, <laughs> so Bennington College has its share of ghosts. It wouldn't be unusual to hear music coming from Jennings Hall since it houses the music department. Mm -hmm. But when instruments are playing themselves, it can make your hair stand up. So students have heard footsteps and strange noises in the building and strange voices. Their favorite tune to play is, of course, Stairway to Heaven. I'm just what? kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Highway to Hell. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I was like, what in the fuck is these ghosts? <laughs> like, Hey, they like some Zeppelin, little ACDC. Sure. 
It doesn't bode well that the location of the school is also in the Bennington, Bennington Triangle, which is probably why I picked this one. It's known for having people disappear within its boundaries. So, of course, I had to look up what this Bennington Triangle was. I'm so glad you did because I was about to like, I've never heard of that before. Me neither. So it's five people disappeared between 1945 and 1950 within this 36 square mile triangle and only one body was ever found. So they call it the Bennington Triangle. So there was a serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, And that was like back in the 1940s. Okay. Smith College. Sessions House is a dormitory on the Smith College campus in Massachusetts. The house was built in 1710 by Captain Jonathan Hunt. A British general named Johnny Borgnine was held captive there during the Revolutionary War. Wow. I didn't put that time together, 1710 Revolutionary War. That was built before 1776. America. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. Just, well, like, caught on. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to your own conversation. <laughs> right? God. All right. <clears throat> anyway, Lucy Hunt was a granddaughter of Captain Hunt, and Johnny and Lucy fell in love and would meet secretly in the hidden passageways. Johnny got sent back to England, and Lucy was heartbroken. She was forced into a passionless marriage, and she died of a broken heart. Aww. To this day, the couple haunts the hallways of the house, searching for the passageway so they can be together again. Um, Sylvia Plath, the famous poet, is rumored to haunt the Haven House, the ghost of her tormented soul. Wait, is she? It, did she really uh, die by suicide by putting her head in the oven, or did she write a poem about that? Um. I don't know. She did kill herself, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, I think it was in an oven. Like the gas. If she's a poet, oven. she's going to be super dramatic. <laughs> I assume. Yeah. Probably. I, mean, I remember reading a lot of her uh, when I was in middle school, because apparently I thought that I was all melancholy. And I was in tune with the spirits. I spent a lot of time at the local cemetery thinking that I was some pagan person, as in we do school? in middle school. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yep. <laughs> I had friends that did it with me, too. It wasn't just me. I wasn't just <laughs> the I only weird the cemetery and you're all black. <laughs> like, right. I hate myself. <laughs> middle school was when my, my mother, who, God bless her, I told her I wanted to dye my hair black. And my hair is blonde. And... We didn't, we, okay. It's like the strawberry blonde. We didn't read the directions the way we should have. And I had a purple sword in the stone gray hair, but I mean, she really tried in seventh grade. I, you know, I wanted to be totally like dark and in tune with everything. And I mean, back when I was in middle school, people were not coloring their hair with their parents' permission. Like she definitely was ahead of her time as far as letting me experiment true anyway small shout out to my mother and my sword in the stone color hair continue on with your sylvia plath well that's what's funny even the way they describe her ghost just her tormented soul really Mm -hmm. yeah supposedly the ghost of a woman who killed her two children with an axe because she mistook them for intruders haunts there i couldn't find anything backing that up but 
I did that's find not an like a story. <laughs> oh, like thinking about that in in that passion of trying to protect your family, killing someone with an axe, after your first blow, you probably could get a an idea of who you're hitting. It's not like totally a gun agree. where you shoot once and then you're like, fuck, I just killed somebody that right. I didn't mean to. And they have to be short. They're going to be little. Yeah. Well, I don't know. My 11-year-old is, well, he's almost 11. He's almost as tall as me. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Um, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> I do have a quick little act story that does revolve to this college. Michael Pepper was found a alive in the pond at Smith College in 1997 after he hacked his parents to death with an axe and he also killed the family dog oh no why yeah why go for the why go there I don't know I know why like what the dog do on November 13th 1925 Jean Robinson was found dead in her dorm as a result of asphyxiation by illuminating gas okay wait can we go back to the guy who was found in the pond alive why was he in the pond he was hiding for the police. Oh, I was like, what was he just taking a leisurely swim after this happened? Like, just hangs gotcha. out there. Gotcha. All right. I missed that part. Okay. So she died by asphyxiation by illuminating gas, which is basically a lantern, but they have hmm. to make it illuminating gas. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Yeah. So like those gas, um, like propane lanterns. Yeah. Yeah. Her friend and fellow student, Alice Corbett, left a note saying she was going home, and she's never been seen since. They say that she has gone mad. But last and not least, I have another story I was unable to find a second source, is that the spirits of two female students fell while searching for the secret passageways haunt the college. But I couldn't back that up. So, again. Mm. Well, we like to speculate wildly on this show, so. Yeah. We don't always need backup. <laughs> Just put it out there. I mean, it was on Reader's Digest, that part. So yeah. I'm sure they did some research, but I couldn't find it anywhere else. So next, it's one of my favorite schools. We're going to head out to Penn State, which is also in Pennsylvania. Ew, that's got that Sanders creeper. Yeah. Why do you got to bring that up, man? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jerry. What the fuck was his name? I don't know. Ugh. Sanders. Um, Isn't that, didn't I just say it? Was it Sanders? <laughs> I feel like it was longer, like Sanderson or something. I don't maybe know. Maybe it was. Well, the Sanderson sisters is Hocus Pocus. That's so maybe true. Sandusky. Oh, there you go. That's Sandusky. Yeah. Yes. All You're right. right. You're right. Okay. So a quick <laughs> shout out to my cousin, Missy. She graduated from Penn State. Her son is the one that wrote our little jingle for Whiskey and Wino. Which is awesome. Yes, because he is a musical protege. And her son, Eric, also goes to Penn State. So I did contact her and ask if she had any hauntings, and she didn't. Oh, yet. Like, Can you make up one? <laughs> All right. Um, but, yeah. She connected me to some Reddit posts. So I found this one. It's called hercampus.com. So it's a woman that goes to Penn State or went to Penn State, writes this stuff. So Cool. Um, or researched it. So first, let's start with Old Coley. He was a beloved mule on campus in 1850 who hauled limestone. Old Coley. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. At some point, he passed away, and he is said to still wander the halls. 
After he passed away, Penn State kept his remains on campus on display in different locations in Watts Hall. Uh, Wait, different locations at the same time or he just moved around? They moved him around. Oh, I was like, what is this, fucking burying him at four corners of the world or something? Fuck. (laughs) That would be a little weird. Yeah. Um, You could still hear his little hooves prancing about as well as hear little hee-haws now and then. You know, that's what donkeys make, right? Haunted by an ass. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sometimes he shows his face just chilling in the resident hall. Like you'll just see like a little floating donkey head. I pictured donkey from Shrek. I was just picturing the same thing. And I was thinking it's college. People are experimenting, dabbling in different things. And you're just chilling. And there's a fucking donkey head. Like, but he's super friendly. (laughs) I should say, I mean, at least he doesn't have his hind legs to like mule kick people. But I literally wrote, we hear little hee haws. (laughs) Oh, that made me laugh. Okay. Um, Keller Building residents in the 1990s, a student reportedly felt a presence in his bed late one night. Terrified, he sprinted to his RA for help, which is like the resident advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, when they returned to his dorm, the door had been locked from the inside and they could hear things banging around the dorm, like stuff was being thrown around. Hmm. When they were finally able to enter the dorm, it had been completely ransacked. And they think maybe by a poltergeist because there were like no windows. He couldn't have left. Like they heard the banging and then they were gone. There's no windows in the dorm. I don't know. I made that up. Is that normal? I don't know. I made it up. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to code, Aaron. That's not to code. (laughs) A room has to have a window. (laughs) Well, because they're like, it had to be a poltergeist. I'm like, well, maybe they went out the window. So I was like, maybe there wasn't a window. I don't know. Maybe it was on like the 12th I'm, floor. I'm wildly speculating. All right. I'm in. <laughs> so the apparition that resides there is likely the ghost of a student who committed suicide. Um, Patty Library Stacks in November of 1969, 22-year-old Betsy Artisma was deep in the basement stacks when she was stabbed and murdered. To this day, they've never found... The murderer, the murder's never been solved. And only mm. the bravest Penn State students are ever found studying in the bottom levels of the Panty library stacks. Late night Panty library stacks. Yeah. That sounds like a porn name. It's it's P-A-T-T-E-E. Oh, Patty. I thought you were saying panty, like your panties and then like library stacks, like boobs. Like st- I was like, what is this porn name? Like where are you panty going? libraries? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a mess. <laughs> Late night crammers have said they've heard the scream of Betsy through the stacks. And some even claim to have seen dried blood on the books and shelves. That comes and goes like it won't be there and then oh. they'll see it. Oh, I don't um, like that. Years later, on the anniversary of her death, a flickering candle surrounded with clippings about the murder were found in the library aisle that she died in. A message was scrawled across the floor that read, Rip Betsy, July 11th, 1947 to November 28th, 1969. P.S. I'm back. Oh, probably, probably as a kid, to be honest. 
But it's creepy. Yeah. The Schwab Auditorium um, is named after Charles Schwab. He was a big theater guy. Is it still in in Penn State? Yes, this is we're still okay. in Penn State. Okay. Um, it was very. It's a very haunted campus. Did you know that Charles Schwab? Schwab? Oh my God! Did you know that Charles Schwab is dyslexic? I didn't. Yeah. And he went to Penn State. He's a genius. He's yes, he just is. is dyslexic. Yeah. Yes. Um, so they see like chairs moving, lights flickering. Um, they say he's a pretty chill ghost, though. Like he's not creepy. Um, there's said to be 11 different spirits that reside there, <laughs> according wow. to a Ouija board experiment back in the 1990s. Uh, most of the ghostly activity occurs in rooms 318 and 313. So there you go. Wow. According to the Daily Collagen article, Collagen, whatever. Published in 1998, an RA was woken by a loud banging in her dorm. The sound got louder and louder, louder, but it wasn't until the bed reportedly started to heave as if it were breathing Whoa. that she fled her nope. room. Yeah, right? When she returned, the door was locked from the inside. Um, and they reported here loud banging. So it was almost just like the one that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And she heard a disembodied voice that spoke incoherently. So, yeah, I would be out of there. Yeah, for sure. So I just have two little colleges left. Well, they're not so little, honestly. (laughs) So the next one is Ohio University, which is not to be – this is not the Ohio State. This is from realparanormalexperiences.com. So this is supposedly, like, one of the number one – colleges for hauntings um so it starts in wilson hall takes a scare factor up to 10 according to haunted athens ohio.com part of the reason for its spine tingling reputation is the building is centered in the middle of a pentagram of five cemeteries what who planned that out who's their civil engineer (laughs) so it's creepy it all started in the 1970s when a student lost their life. Accounts differ when it comes to the gender of the student, but sources agree it was an unexpected or unusual death. Okay. Um, sometime after that, a female student lived in the same dorm. Those who knew the woman claimed that she studied the occult. She allegedly used the energy of the room to speak with the dead. That's probably you, wasn't it? Yes. In seventh grade, though. I went to college in seventh grade. <laughs> Forgotten over the course of decades, her name nobody seems to know, yet nearly every story about this woman ends in her grisly death. It is said that she drew on the power of the room one night. She started to astral project or speak with the dead, but somehow this resulted in her violent and bloody death. Some Ooh. some say that she slit her wrist. Others say her throat. Nobody really knows the truth. At least that's still alive or whatever she she killed herself though yes. regardless of all, all the stories right. lead to that hmm. so room 428 has been sealed off in the dorm it's been deemed uninhabitable by school officials oh. the the history behind this um off-limits dorm is just rather freaky um a mental hospital called the athens lunatic asylum was built next door to the university in 1874 and was operational up until 1993 Wow. For many years, the patients of the Institute enjoyed a peaceful atmosphere, complete with fountains and gardens. 
But as the asylum got older and got overran with patients, the quality dropped and the doctor and staff weren't just like up to par anymore. Um, did a lot of bad experiments with the patients, electric oh. shock therapy, you know, lobotomies. Wasn't it um, in Pennsylvania that they had that huge experiment where they put the kids down in the basement and like did all, okay, I'm going to have to research that. I think it was in Penn State or it was some somewhere near there where they had the psychology department ask for volunteers and then they like went berserk testing these students. Ooh. I'll have to look at it. That is pretty gross. So they're thinking maybe that some of the hauntings too are from this insane asylum. Makes sense. Okay, so my last one is the Fighting Irish. We're doing Notre Dame. All right. Um Steve's favorite college. Right. It's Steve's school. <laughs> um, I got indianahauntedhouses.com and thetab.com is who I used. Um, our CCO at the bank, um, <laughs> he went to Notre Dame, so I called him out of the blue and I asked him about it. And he probably thinks I'm crazy. And it was really sorry he answered the phone. Yeah, well, whatever. You're leaving anyway. Right. <laughs> I asked him for a letter of recommendation. I probably should have got that first. Yes, you should have. Although I did run some of this stuff by him, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I heard about it," but he never saw anything crazy. But, mm. um, but I thought it was super interesting all the same. So the ghost that is believed to haunt the University of Notre Dame is an evil leprechaun they call Lucky, and he will steal your lucky charms. Whoa! You know that's not an true, right? Leprechaun. Well, I know not stealing the lucky charms. I figured that much, but is he an evil leprechaun? No, there's no evil leprechaun. Fuck you and your stories. <laughs> oh, I crack myself you know, up. Every time you do one of those things, I think, okay, next time I write my story, I'm going to throw something <laughs> out there and then I forget until we're doing this and you pull that shit. And I'm like, God damn it, I forgot again. I don't usually do it twice in the same story, but hey. Um, so the ghost is actually the former footballer, George Gipp. You might know the term that references him. Win one for the Gipper? Rudy? No, the oh. Gipper. I said the George Gipper. Gipp. I said nothing about Rudy. Sorry, I don't know. You'll I don't see know anything it, like, about football movies. It'll be like, win one for the Gipper. Oh. I'm going to tell you why that's a thing. Okay, I'm interested. Okay, so one late winter night in 1920, George Gipp, Gip, I want to say Gimp. I don't know why. Um, anyway, one late night, in 1920, he found himself locked outside of the dorm after curfew. He was afraid of the resident priest, Mother, Mother, <laughs> Brother <laughs> Morales. So he slept on the stairs, which led to him catching pneumonia. Oh, no. He famously died on his deathbed. And Gibbs said he Most died on his deathbed. Most people die on his deathbed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Damn him dying on his deathbed. What a weirdo. That's crazy. <laughs> The Gip is said to have implored catch Newt Rockney. Sometimes Rock, when the team is up against it and when things are wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, tell them to go in there with all that they've got and win just one for the Gipper. Hmm. So interesting. Apparently there was a big speech that um, this coach did and he put that out there. So that's nice. I guess 
We don't know if those were really his last does words, he, but that's the way they. I was going to say, does page. he haunt? Yes. Oh. He does. Oh. Okay. But he doesn't seem to be like a, a mean ghost by any means. Um, they say actually. No, he seems um, very. He, he goes around and pats your back. Like if you're having a hard time, he's the ghost that pats your back. He seems like he's the the rally person, like the spirit, the the school spirit spirit. Like, <laughs> he's got spirit spirit, yes. Yeah. He, man- <laughs> he manifests his footsteps, noises, slamming doors. I've, I've read that sometimes like feeling shoved, but I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like a nice ghost, but maybe they're assholes. Maybe that's like the bully student. He's like, you little brick. Like pushes them. Yeah. Well, I mean, or maybe the guy just doesn't know his own strength, and it was like a pat on the back, but oh, it just be. Sh- shoves you. And they're just being a little wuss. Um, men were so, stronger back then. <laughs> his ghosts say that that his ghosts say his ghost doesn't say much. Um, they say his ghost haunts Washington Hall most of all. Um, they say that at midnight, you can hear an eerie horn with no apparent source they've never discovered like he played the horn or anything so i don't know why people affiliate that with him but they do Hmm. but the same priest that the gipper was too scared to wake up demanded an exorcism of the building because there were so many weird things that happened after his death Uh, so also in washington hall there's a legend of an unnamed steeplejack um they're the ones that work on what is that so they're okay like they're a lumberjack like, for steeples? Yes. I mean, basically, yeah. They do the bell towers, like the hard stuff that's hard to do, like when you have to reconstruct it or fix it. Um, well, he was up there okay. fixing it, and he fell to his death. Hmm. Uh, they've seen warrior ghosts on horseback because, of course, they say that it's built on a Native American burial ground. We've said it before many times, but America is an Indian burial ground it really like, is anywhere you fucking go there is native american or i've learned that i think there's called the first people now is being politically correct not that we're trying to be politically correct on this Instead podcast of it's not really our mo yeah i thought it was the the first people or the first the first nation i think is what it is oh. the first nation I did. Anyway, I, I looked at a lot of colleges, like when I did this, because of course there are many lists of haunted cottage, cottages, colleges, <laughs> and I found uh-huh. a bunch about. They're all like, I'm like, what do they just go around to burial grounds and just build all over all, all on top of it? I don't know. Yeah, I found that a lot, so I try not to pick too many that were the same. But those, yeah, are my haunted colleges. Fantastic. So I have a story that is also out of Pennsylvania because I totally forgot that I had said that we were going to do back to school crimes. So it was her idea and everything. And I brought it up like three or four times. It was. I know it was. I fucked up. Yeah. I think it's cute. All right. So Blaine Norris. This is his story. Blaine Norris and Brian Trimble. You might not after this. Damn it. Yeah. Like, what's it? Is it? Chris, He's my favorite character on Glee. Is it Nathan Blaine? Is there, or who's the, no, isn't there a famous Lane. person? Oh, yeah. Nathan well, Lane. there we go. <laughs> I just put a B. Okay. So Blaine and Brian are best friends. They both work as computer techs at an insurance company in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They were both super into horror films and Nathan 
fuck. <laughs> There's no Nathan in here. <laughs> <at all. laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. So they were both into horror films and Blaine Norris was particularly obsessed and was known to be an encyclopedia of horror movies, according to Sean Gaston, who is a up and coming actor. Sean was interviewed in an episode of Dateline NBC that I read because I couldn't find it on the web. I couldn't find anywhere to watch it. So I had to read the whole episode. Anyway, I also watched an episode of Deadly Ambition on the bio channel. So Sean, the actor, he didn't really know what to expect. He also didn't know what was normal or not normal or weird because he had never acted before. He just responded to a call um, in the newspaper, the local newspaper that was for an independent film actor. So he just kind of showed up. Can you call this, yourself this an actor was, if you've never acted? Uh yeah, I mean, he's not a professional actor. Or a reenactor. You know, a reenactor actor? Yeah. I would say if you take like drama classes or you're kind of into that thing, then maybe you are an actor. You're just not professional because people aren't paying you. All right, that's fair. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not buying it, but all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> do you buy it enough to move on in the story? Yes, I do. Okay, okay. So. The ad was placed because Blaine Norris and Brian Trimble were convinced that they were going to make a great indie horror film. It was going to be like the next biggest thing. The premise for the film was five hikers. They were hiking the Appalachian Trail and they were chased by an evil ghost. They were inspired by the horror flick Blair Witch Project. And that's why they thought they were going to be like the next big deal because the Blair Witch Project... I'm not sure what production cost, but box office, I think they made like $250 million. Yeah, they killed it. Their yeah. budget was super low. Yeah. So they were convinced they were going to do the same. Like they were going to make this whole thing. And their movie was going to be called Through Hike. They, That's a dumb name. Yeah. It was the whole thing. It's dumb all around. Um, so... But they did have someone willing to invest $18,000 into this project. That's a weird amount. So, Yeah. Well, I think that was kind of the budget that Blaine and Brian had come up with. They thought this would be enough for, like, the filming and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think they asked for that amount in particularly. Oh. In particularly? Is that even a word? Um, in particular? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So Brian Trimble offered to use his own camera equipment. He was uh, he wanted to be a cinematographer. And so he had some really good film equipment and he was going to be the cameraman. So having the equipment and wanting to be a cameraman, you would think that he has some ability to take pictures, be a cameraman. But apparently Brian Trimble was not a great cameraman. And the actors had the actors never saw Brian at any of the auditions or rehearsals. I know nothing about the film industry, so I can't say anything about it. But there's a woman called Robin Griggs who did uh, work on a soap opera and she was cast in the film. And she said that she's never had a rehearsal without the director of film because was important because they know all the lighting and where someone should stand and, you know, to get the shot so that it's called um, like squaring up. 
or something to the camera. So she thought that was weird. But again, like I said, the guy, Sean, before he had never done a professional film. So he didn't really know what was normal and what wasn't normal. So another point against Brian Trimble is that he did the cast headshots (laughs) and he made such a fucking debauchery out of it. The investor took all his money back. Oops. He was like, wow, if you can't even do headshots, how the fuck are you going to do this film? Like, this is a waste of money. And he pulled all his money out. He was like, I'm not fucking doing this. This is crazy. I don't blame him. Yeah. So the investor did say, if you uh, fire the cameraman and hire a new one, then we can talk. But that cameraman is going to, you know, fuck this up. Uh. Blaine would not fire Brian because that was his best friend. So they had no outside financing, but they forged ahead and they were going to have the cast, Robin Griggs and Aaron Lampert, along with Sean Gaston and a few others. They were going to go up to the Appalachian Trail and begin filming. Another problem happens here. Um, Brian, the cameraman, who's apparently an inadequate cameraman, he suffers <laughs> from multiple, he suffers from multiple sclerosis. So he oh. can't make the trip, the trek up to that mountain. His doctor said, I would not recommend you going up that mountain. And also spending five days out in the sun while you're filming is not a good idea. So now they don't have a cameraman. Brian wanted to put up $5,000 for the film because he couldn't be cameraman. So he was trying to help with the money to finance another cameraman. But when he had the conversation with his wife, Randy, she was not super stoked on this film. And she was like, no, this is not a good place to put our savings. Right. Naturally. Uh, So he blames Randy for not being able to participate in the film. She agrees with the doctor. I know, right? She's awful. She agrees with the doctor. Like, look, dude, you have MS. He doesn't think you should be out there hiking. You know, you could injure yourself. And I agree with him. So, no, I'm not going to give you the money. Uh, And the kicker here is she tells him you should not be lending your expensive equipment to Blaine to go up there, too. So he basically takes all of his filming equipment back. Oh, Um, because she's like, dude, you're going to you're going to give this to this guy who doesn't know anything about being a cameraman because his whole his whole dream Blaine's is to be a director. So he doesn't know anything about the camera. Um, Obviously. So she's like, dude, don't don't give him all your expensive shit to go out into the middle of the fucking woods without you being there. So Blaine not wanting to pull the plug on the project he decided to finance the rental of a camera equipment on his own. So he put it all on credit cards. Ooh. Blaine secured the camera equipment and was ready to start filming. Again, once everybody's already geared up to go to the location, they're ready to go film. Then something else happens, which is his only professional actress, the Robin who had done, um, Soap opera. Soap operas. Yeah. She breaks her arm and had to drop out of the film. Oops. Yeah. So you'd think, I mean, all these things that are happening, you might kind of circle the wagons and be like, okay, let's, let's think about this. Let's retrace. Like all the shit keeps happening, you know, like maybe take a break and just kind of reassess. No, 
Blaine decided he was going to, you know, prevail over all the obstacles. He he took out every all the money on credit cards. So Blaine's got nearly $20,000 in debt. He is making around $60,000 a year, right? So this is a major debt. This is not like, I mean, this is like a, a brand new car. I mean, Yikes. so his wife and him decide to sell their home to help finance this film. So his wife was somewhat on board. Wow. So they were living in an apartment and I mean, they were risking everything. So the stress level was super high. Blaine's marriage began suffering because his bills are not getting paid. She's freaking out. I mean, like you would. And he's sinking everything he has into this film emotionally, financially, it's stressing him out. He's still trying to go to work and, and produce this film. He was also blaming a lot, if not all of his stress on Brian's wife, Randy, because it's like, if he, if Randy would have just let Brian give him the money or use the camera equipment, that would be like half the debt that he's in. But the cast and crew said that Blaine was always focused on the film. He never talked about his home life, his work life, his wife, any of that. He just spoke about the movie. And then when they were filming, they said that all he talked about was the movie that they were filming. And then on the downtime, he talked about his love for horror movies. And he would talk about like Nightmare on Elm Street and, you know, cinematic effects of those movies. Like he wanted to replicate um all right so they get the movie filmed okay they all go up to the appalachian mountain they film it over a course of five days they're working basically 24 7 to get this done uh because remember he still has a day job he's a computer tech at the insurance firm so i think this is like a week vacation that he's taking so he has to you know wow get it all done when they all get back, Blaine is the one that's doing the editing. He starts out super excited. He's editing He's all the progress of the film, but it turned into more personal things, which was like he and his wife were having problems. Huh, you think? Yeah, and also apparently his wife was convinced he was having an affair with one or more of the women on set. Like she held him into really high regard. He Oof. is a total dweeby looking, like he looks like what you would, picture a stereotypical computer technician looking like for an insurance company yes it's not one of those jobs he gets asked about a lot i'm sure yeah also he's kind of creepy <laughs> this was definitely not the case he was not having an affair with anyone he was not having an affair with any of the women on set or anyone else for that matter uh, but it was clear that the movie was getting in the way of blaine's home life i think his wife probably, start, I mean, total speculation, but I think his wife was probably concerned because he was spending so much time on this movie that she thought it could only be another woman that would take this much attention away. When, in fact, he was just obsessed with this movie. So after some time, he announced the end of his marriage. Another personal stressor on top of stressing over the editing is the money and the impending divorce is going to cost more money that he doesn't have. He also has to go back to his mundane job after filming. So when he was filming, everyone was saying that he was taking it so seriously. Like he was, um, like he was a movie star, right. Or like a, a famous director. He took it so seriously. And, <laughs> and the cast really, the cast really admired him for that. Cause they were all kind of um, beginning actors so they looked up they looked up 
to him. So when he had to go back to his normal job and people weren't looking up to him, that was also kind of an added stressor. He told his crew that he had to put the film on hold, but that it would go forward. He just sent out an email that was like, I'm going to have to put this on hold right now. I've got to focus on work and blah, blah, blah. And, but it definitely is going to happen. And back at the office, Blaine and Brian are back to normal. Uh, their coworker, Tracy, recalled that it was distracting, that they would always be in the same room and they'd be fantasizing about their movie concepts and, you know, just like <laughs> idealizing things and talking about when their movie's going to, you know, take off and all this stuff. Right after they had filmed, Brian was kind of excluded in this arena because he had dropped out. And so I think Blaine looked at him like, you left us. Yeah, I wondered about that. Tracy, the coworker, was saying that Brian and Blaine had kind of reconciled. And they were talking just like they were before, like just before Brian dropped out. So everything seems back to normal, although Blaine is getting a divorce. Um, they had to take a break from the movie. Cut to January 10th, 2003. Um, which was in that timeline. I'm not sure when they started recording, but all of this took place within like a few months. It wasn't like years. So January 10th, 2003, Brian Trimble called 911 to report that he found his wife, Randy, on the garage floor. She had been murdered. There was a whole lot of blood on and around her. Uh, police detective Chip Doherty said there was there was a body there, a tremendous amount of blood, and the hair was matted with so much blood, I couldn't tell if it was a male or female. Ugh. So Randy Trimble was 28 at the time of this murder. On the show Deadly Ambition, Brian Trimble, his 911 call was recorded, and he's freaking out. My wife's dead. She's on the floor. She's got blood. The 911 operator asks all the same things. Is she breathing? Is she coherent? Is whatever. And he's like, no, no, no. And he's freaking out. When the investigators get to the house, they see that the house is in shambles. Like everything's knocked over. It's ransacked. Like she interrupted a robbery. That was like anyone who went in the house because she was in the garage. So they went in the house and they're like, fuck, this, this is probably a robbery. She interrupted the robbers. But... When when they got the autopsy back, uh, the report, the detectives were like, there's no way that this was just a random murder. It was way too personal, the killing. So she was stabbed 27 times. Oof. She also had an extension cord around her neck. Oh, because the stabbings weren't good enough? Right. So they were like, there's no way that a robber who, if you're interrupting a robbery... They might just shoot you or incapacitate you so that you can get they can get away. But like to do all that, it's personal. I mean, to stab someone is very personal. Well, if you're going to rob a house when no one's there, you're expecting them not to be there. So you're not, you know, if you wanted, yeah. just, you didn't care who was there. You would care if she was there or not. I know what I'm trying to say in my head, honest. But you know sure. what I mean? Like, you know, if you're going to do one when the person's there, you're going to have a weapon. Obviously, you don't care. Well, it looks like 
since she's in the garage, perhaps she parks in the garage and she opens the oh. door. And when she opens the door, they come out and do something. But like, I, I feel like the majority of the time when you have petty burglary or whatever, you know, they're breaking in, they're just looking for valuables. There was other exit points. So if you hear a garage door opening and you hear somebody coming through the garage, wouldn't your first instinct be to just bail out another one of the exits versus run to the, because you don't know if it's a big, you know, six foot five yoked man with fucking martial, martial arts degrees. Like you don't know who's in there. You might as well just run away. Anyhow. So they turn their attention to Brian Trimble because the husband's always the murderer, you know, and it was so personal that they were like, you know, we got to question the husband. Brian said he was out to dinner and multiple people witnessed him. So he was out of the house. It seemed like it could not be him because he wasn't at home. Uh, Brian said that he loved his wife. There was no issues, yada, yada, like they always do. Um, they were even trying to have a baby. Randy's mother said that he was a very loving husband, that they were very happy She also said that Randy was working two jobs so that she could save up money because her husband had MS and knew he wasn't going to be able to work forever. So she's thinking of the future. She's working really hard. So that even brings more uh, just awfulness to the fact that she told him, no, you can't have $5,000 to throw at this movie. Like, we're going to have to live on that a disease. Someday. Yeah. You have a disease that gets worse. It doesn't get better. Like, no, it doesn't. Because you can work now, we've got to squirrel away all this money so that when it gets bad, we're okay. So she's just, I mean, she sounds like just a really good person. And maybe she's a little bit frugal, but in the circumstances, okay. it seems completely responsible. Yeah. Absolutely. Most people who were interviewed brought up the name Blaine Norris. This was mostly in connection with Brian's connection with the horror film that they were working on. The police were, you know, they they interviewed Brian. They interviewed everyone around Randy and they were just stuck. It was like there's no she she didn't rub anybody the wrong way. She wasn't confrontational. She wasn't a person who had like a seedy lifestyle. She wasn't doing drugs. She wasn't, you know, gambling. There was really nothing. So they were kind of at a dead end as far as leads are concerned. So they started to watch Brian. They like, they just had no, nothing going on. So, About a month after the death of Randy, they noticed Brian has dropped the act of the grieving widower and he starts spending lots of money. He buys big screen TV. He does, you know, all the stuff that he wasn't allowed to do when she was alive, which I don't want to project anything for anyone's grieving issues. I mean, that's talked about a lot in um, the Menendez brothers Right. Remember, they killed their parents and they went on a, a spending like, like spree. Instantly. Yeah. But I think, you know, some people do have that materialistic. It does. It helps them feel better. Like some people drink. Some people do drugs. Some people spend like it just makes them feel better in the moment. 
So I don't want to say that like the fact that he bought a big screen TV and was spending other money is a like a fact. He killed his wife. Right. But um, it kind of just goes to show what he was living like with his wife. He wasn't allowed to buy anything. So one of the detectives, when they came in, noticed the new TV and said, that's a that's a nice big screen. I, I would love to get one to watch the games on, but my wife won't let me. And he's and uh, Brian responded with like, yeah, mine wouldn't either. And so kind of now he gets to spend money, which to me is just fucking insane. If I had a disease that I knew could get worse tomorrow, you know, those things might not be so high on my list. Like and spending then, a bunch of money in that time period, they were really expensive. Like now you can get a big screen for, you know, like 700 bucks. Oh but yeah. Under a thousand. You could get a really good TV. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay bank. He has like 10 grand for one of those flat screen yeah. plasmas. Yeah. For back then. Absolutely. Yeah. I still have a TV from 2000. It was 2003 uh, as a plasma. It still works. Uh, but my parents bought it for me and Dave um, in 2003, and it I think it was seven grand. Wow. And it was so fucking heavy. Like it was <laughs> it was like it was a moving um, a moving present. We had moved into a new apartment. And uh, we had to hire somebody to come hang it. <laughs> like it was it's not as fucking light and portable now i could move a tv on my own right but um definitely yeah but it still works it just heats up the room so you can only watch it in the winter time <laughs> oh really that's weird <laughs> yeah it's really fucking hot <laughs> um anyway so they interviewed brian again after all this they interviewed him and they were like okay walk us through the events of the night again hoping that he'll slip up so because they're certain that he had something to do with it because she just doesn't live a high risk lifestyle. She there's nothing, you know, on the outside. And it's it's very clear it wasn't wrong place, wrong time because it's at her home. Like, who knows she's there? It's not like she's in a parking lot and a mugging gone bad. I right. mean, once they were convinced that there's no way this was an accidental burglary gone bad. Because there's no other fingerprints in the house. There's no other evidence that there's other people in the house other than it being ransacked. They just zero in on him. Wait, did she have insurance money? Oh, yeah. And I'll get to it. So the police go to his house, Brian's house, with a video camera. And they're like, walk us through the crime scene again. You know, we just we really need to get this nailed down so that we can figure out what's going on. Because right now we just have zero leads. Originally, he said he went into the garage He saw her from the step, like right when you open the garage, there's a step and uh, open the garage from the house. I mean, not the garage door. He sees her laying down in a pool of blood. He called 911 and then in the 911 call, um, he never says that he touched her. The 911 operator is like, is she breathing? No. Is she conscious? No. Um, then they're like, okay, we'll send help. It's on the way. But this account, he said he went into the garage to see if she's alive. He nudged her and tapped her and kind of shook her a little bit to see if she was alive. 
And his story was just, it's those details that you don't really pay attention to. That don't if you think they you'd didn't run, if that was your loved one, you'd run to them and be like, hey, oh my God, oh my God. You know, would yeah. you really just nudge them and be like, tap, tap, tap? No, you're oh, going to be sure. hysterical if it's a Well, and you have, you have that whole thing, you know, this happens in a lot of murder scenes where the person who finds the body gets blood all over themselves yes. because they're not thinking. They just run to their loved one and they're trying to pick them up and hold them. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, it kind of speaks, though, to his character in general. He's a very timid, um, not kind of, you know, uh, like a man's man type of thing. Like, it doesn't seem like he really takes control of anything. So oh. it's possible he was just scared. You know, he walked in the garage. He saw her laying down. He called out to her. She didn't answer. He was like scared. Oh, scared pants. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. um, but anyway, the, the timeline of events and, and the actual events that happen are, are different. And he's on, um, audio saying the different things. And like, I've heard police officers say on different shows that I've watched, you know, a, a small bit of change in a story is natural as far as before and after the events. But the events, like when you go walk up on a body, you remember what you did. Like, did you touch them? Did you, you know, it kind of that those 30 seconds to a minute kind of replay in your mind. What happened before? Like, did you take your seatbelt off and then turn your car off? Did you turn your car off, then take your seatbelt off? Like those things can kind of change, but it's yeah, once get you that. get to, so it doesn't, it's not, again, it's not proof that he messed up, but that's a big thing to say. I didn't touch the body versus I did go touch the body. Right. You'd like remember you that shit. It's like you knew she was dead. If you didn't go and check the body, well, how'd you know she was dead? Just because there's a lot of blood doesn't mean she wasn't still breathing. Mm-hmm. He, they're keeping a really close eye on this guy. He starts dating again. Um, and he's still spending a lot of money. So now we are, let's see, January, February, March. We're like two and a half months later. Okay. March 29th, Blaine is interviewed. Blaine says, uh, Brian could never hurt anyone. Like he could not, he couldn't even punch someone, let alone kill someone. Like he's, and I'm not quoting. He just basically was saying, there's no way that he hurt his wife. Then he offers this statement, totally on his own, not prompted. I could totally kill someone. Like, Brian could not kill someone, but I definitely could. And I could, like, in self-defense or if, you know, the person was a problem, whatever, I could totally kill someone. I think he was trying to um, just solidify how much he thought Brian could not kill someone and and just not realizing what he was revealing in saying that. Yeah, you probably don't want to mention and, that to cops. Yeah. So... Blaine gave an alibi that he was having dinner with his girlfriend that evening. But upon interviewing Blaine's girlfriend, she said he didn't show up for dinner until after 9 p.m. They were supposed to meet for dinner around 5 p.m. She called to say she was running late. I think she called around 
515 and said, I'm going to be home shortly. I just, I'm running a little bit late. Blaine said, no problem. He'll meet her at home for dinner shortly. They ate around nine, not five. So his alibi is falling apart. Mm. After all those interviews, the police got a letter from the killer. It was a taunting letter. And it said things like, quote, since police have not spoken to me, I know you are barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) And, quote, this was due to an old grudge, unquote. And wake up police and solve cases. It was signed Trooper, T-R-O-O-P-E-R. And it was a total newspaper ransom letter. Like the oh, words God. were cut they out. They cut out the letters. Oh, yeah, it was awful. So lame. Um, so they bring Brian Trimble back in for questioning. Because they're like, all right, this Blaine guy is fucking crazy. And we're getting this letter. And they're learning about the film and, you know, all the stuff that was going on. And so they're questioning Brian. They're like, look, dude, this Blaine guy is not normal. And you guys are doing this, this uh, film. And now we get this rant or this this letter. I mean, something's up. And so Brian just fucking cracks and he spills all the beans. Wow, that didn't take long. No, he says Blaine Norris killed his wife. And then he asks, is the death penalty off the table? Mm, Like, if I say stuff. Yeah. Anyway, the police ask him after all that stuff okay well how do you know it's Blaine and like why would he do it so Brian tells them that he was unhappy with his marriage she was frugal and didn't let him spend any money uh which again the reason is for your fucking dumbass like right it (laughs) I mean she's frugal so divorce her Right. Well, and you're fucking it's your I'm not knocking anybody who has a disease. Don't don't get me wrong on this, but it's your disease that she's saving for. Yeah. Like it's your ass. You're so fucking stupid. Like it made me nuts. Like this poor woman's life is snuffed out because you're a fucking greedy son of a bitch. And I want a big screen TV when. Mm hmm. But I'm and I want to throw hurting our marriage by, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I want to throw five grand at my idiot friend who can't fucking work a camera. <laughs> this all came to a head when Randy told him he could not participate in the film. That's when Brian was like, fuck this. She has to be like Brian didn't want a divorce when because police obviously asked him, like, why didn't you just divorce her? Like what? Why? I asked that about anyone that murders their spouse. Yes. Why? Speaking uh, speaking of someone who is divorced, me too. Um, and I wish I definitely. <laughs> it definitely never crossed my mind to murder. I will say, uh, in my case, I feel like it's a little bit different because um, I have children with him. So why would you take that from your children? Uh, people do it True. for sure. They're idiots too. But like. Yeah, there's another level of like, why? Because then you go away to prison, your their dad or mom, you know, in the other way around is dead. Like you, you basically just created little fucking monsters who hate the world. Like, yeah, 
All right. And to know that your one surviving parents in prison for killing the other, I mean, right. like, that's not going to fuck with them. For no reason. Like this guy killing his. It's not like it's an abusive situation where that person was abusing the kids and you and you had to stand up or whatever the fuck. Anyway, I don't want right. to get they into never justifying murder. Right. Yeah. Like I don't justify murder at all, but <laughs> it's just sometimes um, you kind of get it. Not yes. saying it's right, but you get that push. But, yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's like people who, you know, maybe shoot heroin. I can appreciate why they would like it. I like drinking. I can good. appreciate why they like it. I wouldn't do it personally. But, I mean, you know, you can kind of get on the level of, like, why you would want to. Yeah, I'm guessing right. it feels really good, and that's why so many people do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We kind of went way the fuck off the rails on that one. All of a sudden, we're doing hair. Um, <laughs> I know. We just went really fucking deep, dark. Okay. The point of this was that Brian told the officers that he couldn't put her through the pain of divorce. But the pain Utterly of divorce. Utterly disgusting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Terrible. No, he thought it would be really painful for a divorce. Like, oh. how fucking dare you decide how painful it would be for her to have to leave your ass? Like. Yeah. You're gross. Stabbing her is cool. The 27 times she suffered while you're drowning or drowning, stabbing her. Yeah, that didn't hurt at all. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, of course. Stab her. He's a pussy. But yeah. okay. He might as well have. But literally, he did not do it. So he had an insurance policy that was worth one hundred thousand dollars. A hundred fucking thousand dollars. Not a million. Not. Yeah. So he told Brian, I'll give you $20,000 to kill my wife. The exact amount of money that he was in debt for the production of the movie. So Brian wanted his wife dead probably since before the movie. He was feeling stifled. He was feeling like he couldn't spend any money. This became a perfect opportunity because Blaine was so fucking invested in this movie. He would have done anything for this movie. So if he told him, I'll give you the $20,000 up front to kill my wife, and then I will invest in your movie. I mean, Blaine was off his rocker enough to just be like, yeah, for sure. So Blaine went over to Brian's house, Brian and Randy's house, and they did a dry run. And he learned the entire layout of the house, et cetera. Blaine first went in and was going to strangle Randy. And so he had the extension cord and he was going to strangle her. But she got her hand up underneath it as it went around her neck so she could hold it. And so she wasn't, you know, it wasn't as easy as he thought. So Blaine panicked. He grabbed a knife and just started stabbing. Um. They had Brian arrested because Brian was the one who started spilling the beans first. And then they went to search for Blaine. They couldn't find him. They looked into his finances to see where he was. And they found a receipt for latex gloves, a black sweatsuit, mask, you know, all the stuff for committing, you know, they watched way too many movies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He might as well have bought a scream mask. It's like um, sunlight, and he's like, I got all black. Like, they could still mm-hmm. see you. Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. So, 
with getting those receipts from the financial documents, they were able to obtain a uh, search warrant for his house because of the gloves and all that stuff. It was all bought at one store. The gloves, the black sweatpants or sweatsuit, uh-huh. a mask, like all of that. So they got into his house where upon they found the knife, the murder weapon was in his oh, house. That was smart. They, Keep the murder yeah. weapon. So they eventually got Blaine. They arrested him. And both of these fuckers are in prison, life without parole. So nice. That's that. Yeah. So the oh. movie never got made, huh? It's I watched a clip of it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Called, yeah. Called Through Hike. It's How spelling really through. T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Okay. Like through, I don't know. But the the movie premise, <laughs> I don't know. The movie um, is, so there's a guy, he's a ghost of like an old timey type guy. And he actually wins in the movie. Like the ghost, the evil oh. wins. Also, uh, the guy, Sean uh, Gaston or whatever his name is, um, the actor, he was saying that when he was reading through the script, it occurred to him that each character, as they die, it's spelled death. So there's like one character that starts with a D, then one that starts with an E, like Desiree and Edward or who, whoever, you know what I mean? And so the acronym, when you're reading the script, is death. And he kind of got skeeved out by that. But um, huh. that's an interesting yeah. thing to notice. Uh, well, I think it was noticed after, you know, I think everyone kind of dissected everything after they learned of this. And then it was put out there. Although it sounded like Sean did realize it as they were reading through the script. But maybe he just thought it was a cool Right. You know, just a cool, a, a cool script thing at the time. And then after the murder, he's like, fuck, this guy is twisted. Oof. A small little tidbit at the end here. Randy's mother founded Randy's House of Angels, which helps those Aww. who are victims of domestic violence. And the website is Aww. Randy's House of Angels dot org. So you check Aww. that out if anybody is. So inclined. That's my case. Well, that's kind of a downer. Yeah. You know, I like, like to your bring cases things usually down. are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just like to make sure we're all I mean, we're all on a down low. I mean, I have ghosts that are like patting you on the back, giving you encouragement, and you're just like, death. Yeah. Well, you can't have a murder story without death. I mean, <laughs> no, let's I get real. That's true. All right. Well, with that, we will say goodbye to all of you lovely human beings out there. I'm so afraid to even say guys and girls. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like my brain is exploding with all of these new political correct terms that I need to learn. And then I feel like people think that I hate them because I'm not using them properly, which is <laughs> totally not the case. I'm just ignorant. I'm sorry. Well, I'm it's just trying. Some like some People like to be called binary and some are fluid and some are pan and then some are they or them. And mm-hmm. it's just, it kind of depends on the, the individual, honestly, about what they want to True. be identified as. I agree. And I told, if somebody comes up to me and says, I prefer to be called they, them, I'm in. Like, sure. But I don't know how to blanket that statement because like you said, it's all individual. So I will just say humans. Yeah. Human beings. 
I'm sure People somebody will figure they... out. <laughs> yeah, somebody will find a way to fuck that up for me. But uh, yeah, be kind to everyone. And um, yeah, we'll speak at you next week. So hey, ciao. Ciao. <laughs> I don't want that I love to be it. my thing. I love it, but it's so your thing. It's, that sucks. <laughs> All right. Come up with a better one. I'll work on it. <laughs>